Get an inside view of the latest private equity deals and the people behind them and meet the people who make it happen. Welcome to Deal Junkie, cracking the private equity code. Host Kevin Fechtmeyer and the Deal Team 6 members interview company founders who have succeeded and some that haven't. Each show will feature lively interviews with company founders to find out whether there is a deal or no deal. Now here is Kevin Fechtmeyer and his team of experts. Hello, this is Kevin Fechtmeyer, Deal Junkie, cracking the private equity code. We've got a great episode up uh, for this week. It's going to be focused on the do's and don'ts of private equity. In addition, we've got a great uh, guest, Jeff Mastro, who is a restaurateur well-known here in the Southwest and the uh, one of the owners of Steak 44. In addition, we've got one of his investors with us, Chris Roden of C3 Capital. So this is going to be an interesting show, but let's start off with the first segment, which, as you know, is the deal statistics for the week. And we pull these from a lot of different sources. And uh, just kind of tells you what's happening in this trillion-dollar market that no one seems to know much about. If you look at the Fortune magazine term sheet last week, there were 67 venture deals announced for over $1.15 million. They ranged from $860,000 to $150 million investment. Private equity announced 29 investments, and uh, they totaled several billion dollars, but many were not disclosed. We've also had a few IPOs and funds raised, and again, the activity has been pretty robust. The rhythm of the market tends to slow down right around Thanksgiving, so everyone who's got a deal in the market and wants to get it closed, people really stop bringing deals to the market uh, in November. Everyone saves them up for January. So that's kind of an interesting statistic. You'll see activity really ebb and flow with the seasons. A lot of people come to the market in the first quarter and right before summer. Not a lot of people end up looking to do a deal launching in August, of course, because everyone's on vacation. And uh, what happens in you know this country also gets mirrored in other countries as well. About half of private equity is now global. So we used to think of private equities as you know U.S.-centric, but in fact, I think as of this year, at least half, if not the majority of private equity investments will be done outside the United States. A couple interesting deals that came out, uh, if you want to call them private equity. Uh, we had one of our brethren, Rourke Capital, bid for Buffalo Wild Wings, $2.2 billion. It's kind of a first. You haven't seen uh, a private equity firm bid in the public markets. And uh, we were quite surprised to see, uh, you know, that was kind of an unannounced tender offer. I don't think it was negotiated. So we're getting bolder and bolder in this market. And uh, it's kind of fascinating uh, what's, what's been going on as the market gets bigger. Um, you know, our firm stays under $100 million in total enterprise value. And we think that's the traditional middle market where you end up being an active investor. Uh, I tend to think of the other guys as really, you know, shuffling assets a bit and uh, really working in the billion-dollar-plus market. It's a very, very different world than kind of the ones we live in with the entrepreneurs that you'll be seeing us interview on this show. But nevertheless, it's uh, part of the private equity market. Uh, our transaction flow has uh, continued to be strong. We're now looking at 12 deals. Uh, which is down from 17 deals last week, and uh, 11 more deals came in. So 
we're continuing to see a wide variety of companies, a, a chemical company, a, a pet food company, um, again, a uniform company. There's just you know, a fairly diverse group of companies coming in. What was interesting also is that transactions uh, you know, have tended to be bigger than average. Uh, the average investment is about $18 million right now on the venture side. The average private equity transaction is over $100 million. So when you look at these, you kind of see that the, the, the market continues to mature. Uh, and once again, uh, if you heard the first, uh, the first show, the uh, transactions now greatly outnumber uh, public market transactions. So the private equity market is now several times the size of the IPO market, which is an interesting statistic and one that if you talked you know, 20 or 25 years ago and told people that would happen, they would think you had your head screwed on backwards. So really a whole new world that, that we're living in. Um, and again, we're here to shine a little bit of sunlight on that. Uh, some of the things we can talk about and use names and some of the things we can talk about and not use names. So one of the topics which I want to get to and uh, you know, my guest Chris Roden will be able to uh, kind of guide you through the mezzanine market because that's a big part of private equity. It's about 7% of total uh, total private equity dollars allocated. Mezzanine debt is you know not quite debt, not quite equity. It's kind of in between. You pay a coupon, you have a warrant for some dilution, but you don't usually have a control investor. So <clears throat> it, it's usually a, a middle ground. And uh, I want to let Chris tell you about that and how they've been able to work that uh, that structure into their investments and, and why it works for entrepreneurs or why it doesn't. And uh, he and I are going to go through a, a few war stories for entrepreneurs seeking capital, which uh, are, some of them are pretty funny. It, it's uh, If you look at the list of private equity do's and private equity don'ts, which we've seen over the past 25 years, it's, it's pretty amazing that people make these mistakes. And, and some of these things to, to, that we recommend doing is pretty common sense, but somehow we don't see them done as often as we, 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 you would expect. So let me give you a quick introduction for when we come back at the break. Uh, you know, you'll know a little bit more about, uh, about Chris, and uh, then we'll t at the next section we'll talk a little bit more about Jeff Mastro. Um, one of the things that uh, you know, Chris, in his bio, mentions is, is you know, he's worked all over the world. He's had uh, a role at Citibank in the Middle East and Africa, and was based in Switzerland for a while. He was also in Saudi Arabia and Yemen, and it's a pretty amazing background, and I guess it kind of points to how global this private equity business has become. Um, he's also had some time in my old hometown of Westport, Connecticut, which is you know a beautiful town. And uh, prior to, to joining C3, C3 Capital is a an SBIC. I'll let him describe what that is, but it's a mezzanine investment fund. And uh, he was previously a partner at the Brinkman, Roden and Sonder, an asset management firm based in Scottsdale. Um, unfortunately, uh, he's also educationally challenged, like my last guest, uh, Mr. Sandroff, who is our CEO coach in the first episode on CEO coaching, and he uh, he squeaked out a degree at the George Washington University. So, uh, anyway, we've uh, got a you know really really you know strong episode here to to talk about. Um, one of the things that uh, I think you know probably makes sense to, to describe is kind of what what we plan to do with all these upcoming episodes. 
uh, one of the, um, the intent of the, the radio show is to kind of shine some sunlight and educate entrepreneurs about the private equity market and what they need to do to be successful. And, and uh, I think, you know, Chris, you weren't on the last show, but um, we talked about the fact that only about 2% of the business plans get funded that come into a private equity firm. So you, you kiss a lot of frogs. We call it the frog kissing business. And, uh, you know, a lot of these are good companies. They're fine companies but they just don't have the growth characteristics or the depth of management to, to succeed and generate an equity rate of return. So a lot of folks you know, have big dreams, but the reality is very few actually realize those dreams. It's a lot of hard work, it's a lot of luck and a lot of talent. And uh, we're gonna be essentially talking about that in each episode, step by step, what it takes to, to do that. We, you know, CEO coaching, which was our last episode, was just one of the things that we can do. Um, you know, just people gaining self-awareness as an entrepreneur is a, is a critical part of, you know, the company's maturation process. Uh, I used to joke uh, and, and one of the, the sayings that, that uh, I remember Dr. Brody, who was a very successful entrepreneur in Florida, built a chain of dental centers. He used to say, you want to make sure your company has a culture and is not a cult. So, you know, a lot of times the very strong-willed CEOs who drove the success of these companies need to be coached and need to be coached into you know team building exercises and, and you know allowing uh, delegation you know more effectively and and allowing their business to scale and a lot of times that's not easy from a lot of different standpoints so I think uh, resources like uh, like Mark uh, you know have been vital to kind of helping founders you know understand their their strengths and limitations so that was a first show and you know, we'll talk a little bit about more with, with uh, what we call coach sandroff on <clears throat> how to manage a family succession plan and we've got several other episodes coming up we've got uh, kevin mcholland who will talk about the eny entrepreneur of the year competition what it takes to win we've had several winners in our portfolio or at least nominees i want to be careful we've won regional we've never won national it's an amazing amazing group of companies where they, they winnow down 20,000 companies down to 400 finalists to 50 state winners and you know the, to, to win that is a, is a true honor. Um, we've also got uh, coming up I think it's going to be our next episode is Seth Page who is a successful Silicon Valley CEO and one of our deal team six members on, on our advisory board. He just sold his uh, company that's in uh, the, what I call IoT or Internet of Things. And uh, he's got a, a very interesting perspective on how technology is affecting every company and how your company needs to adapt. And that's highly relevant for doing a deal in private equity because it, private equity is about growth. And private equity is uh, ultimately growth will be driven in, in large part by technology and uh, how you leverage technology. Uh, we've got a, a couple investment bankers on board. I know it's, it's kind of hard to believe as a recovering investment banker, I would consider inviting an investment banker in the show, but they are a very uh, important, play an important role in a company transaction and the good ones are really good and really valuable. And uh, I think we're gonna have uh, a couple of these folks talk about, you know, why do I need an investment banker? Because at some, at some time, many companies do and uh, that advice in the capital markets can be vital. Um, we've got a couple senior bankers coming in talking about uh, you know, what it takes to get a senior bank loan, you know, and why, why, why do banks lend to me or, or not, um, and you know, where, 
where I can uh, develop uh, those relationships, and, and you know, that's important, and, and much lower cost capital and equity. And in addition, we've got uh, other shows related to insurance structuring, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the industry you know, focus on, 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 on our road show, how do you, how do you run a road show. Um, and then finally, we're going to have a last few episodes on how to develop an asset management plan as you diversify your assets after you get liquidity in your company. So that'll be the tail end of our initial series of programs. Anyway, I think that's close to the, the final. I got the 32nd uh, note. And uh, why don't we plan to uh, introduce Chris? And then after the commercial break, he's sitting right here. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Get a unique and playful insider's take on the biggest stories in tech, media, and entertainment. Join Lori H. Schwartz, well-known technology catalyst, comedian, and geek girl, as she and leading experts in the media and content business dive into the biggest stories in technology trends, consumer behaviors, and its impact on Hollywood. If you're looking to respond to the tech-fueled changes in the marketplace, then tune in to the Tech Cat Show Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business and syndicated to Voice America Women's Channel. Starting and running a business can be hard. Moving forward and keeping the excitement alive can be difficult to do. I'm Joe Hosman. If you are experiencing the struggles of opening or sustaining a business or even knowing you need a change in your life, you want to tune in to my show, Go For It. My guests and I will show you the steps needed to build something positive in your week. Listen every Thursday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Higher education faces lots of changes. If you are a student, educator, or in the workforce, you'll want to tune into Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Your host, Dave Goldberg, and his guests will explore the innovations that higher education adopts as it reinvents itself. The world of higher education is constantly changing. Stay on top and stay ahead of the rest. Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Deal Junkie. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to questions at cavecreekcapital.com. Now, back to Deal Junkie. And hello, this is Kevin Fackmeyer. We are back at Deal Junkie, cracking the private equity code with Chris Roden and uh, Chris is from C3 Capital. I talked a little bit about him earlier. He, uh, he'll tell you about himself in a minute, but uh, he's got a very impressive resume and uh, has uh, raised and invested probably hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars of private capital and is a partner with us in, in uh, several transactions. And uh, in fact, uh, he'll have one of his CEOs coming on the next episode of the, of the show. So um, this will be interesting. We get to ask, you know, Chris questions, and uh, then 
hopefully we'll, both he and I will go through a little bit of history that we have on the do's and don'ts of private equity and, you know, relay some humorous stories of things you probably can't believe actually happened. So, Chris, welcome. Well, thanks for having me. Pleasure, Kevin, and uh, happy to be here. And uh, as Kevin said, we've worked together a number of years successfully and, and hope to continue that. And it's just a pleasure to be on the show. And we were just talking earlier how novel it is in our business to actually be on a radio show sitting in a studio doing this. It's quite, it's quite unique and, uh, and it's, it's, it's you know, really exciting. Um, I've got the pleasure of uh, working at C3 Capital. I have 11 colleagues there. We're based in Kansas City with a, an office here at Phoenix. And um, we've been in this type of business since 2002. We manage three different funds. We've done over 80, 80 investments since that time period. We currently manage about 50 companies. And I just want to go back to something Kevin said earlier in terms of what we do, what value we add in helping transactions get completed. Because our mission really in life is to provide growth capital to entrepreneurs. And, and, and what that means in a practical sense is um, whether he or she, the entrepreneur, has a a good growth opportunity, they often are limited in being able to execute that opportunity because they can't, they can only get so much money from the bank or they only have so much money in their own capital to put to work and generally it's their entire net worth is in the business anyway. So they, if they have a good opportunity, they're seeking for ways to obviously attract capital to execute that and increase the value of the business over time. So, so, Chris, you gotta you gotta tell us. Everyone asks me this question. Yeah, what is mezzanine debt? I mean, uh, what the hell is that? Because people yeah. ask me, and they they have it's like feeling an elephant. I, I get seven <laughs> different answers from people. Yeah. Help us understand what this that this thing that you invest in is. Well, uh, you know, we're primarily a lender. That's why it's called mezzanine debt or subordinated debt. I'll use those terms interchangeably. But I, I think it's it's a way to grow your company without selling a lot of equity. And let me tell you what that means, okay? Because I think that usually uh, um, the last thing an entrepreneur wants to do is sell or give up equity in their company because that's what they work for every day. And that ultimately will have hopefully a fair amount of value for them and for their team whenever they have an exit or liquidity event. And if, they, if their capital constrained at the moment, there's really only so many places you can go. You can go to friends and family, okay? You can go to the bank, you can go to an investment bank or try to sell equity, which we don't want to do unless we, if you're the entrepreneur, that's probably your, your, your last choice in how to raise money. How much do you typically have to give up an equity with a mezzanine group? What's, what's okay. the range? It, it, there is, it's a big range. It depends on um, um, the growth prospects of the company. And, and you, you hinted on this earlier, Kevin. We're, we're, we're interested in investing in growth opportunities vis-a-vis -vis lifestyle businesses. And there, there, there's plenty of good businesses here and across the country that are great businesses. They may or may not be good growth opportunities. And, and we'll talk about that in a, in a minute. But I think um, we, like any other investors, are looking for a return. And, and we're going to have a, a coupon on the debt. We like to get interest paid every month. But if we're going to finance the growth of the company, we want to participate in that upside as well. So it, it, whether it's a... a, a 4% warrant, 10% warrant, 15%. It's all over the map, Kevin. Hmm. It just depends on what the risk profile of that business is. But it's generally a small minority uh, yeah. percentage. I mean, C3 Capital is not a control player. I mean, like I said earlier, we're, 
we're 12 people, we don't go into these uh, opportunities seeking control. We do like to participate with the management team in the upside and help them execute the strategy. Well, one of the things we're going to dive into, which you and I can go back and forth, because each of, I think each of us has, you know, 25 to 30 years of private equity experience, which is a frightening thought. Yeah. So <laughs> collectively, we represent a half a century. That's scary. So we'll, we'll go with that. We, what's at the top? Let's go back and forth, because yeah, I, I yeah. have my do's and don'ts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's the most important thing you see a private equity or, a, or an entrepreneur do when they meet with a private equity firm? What do you need to see? Well, I think we, you know, the most important thing that we look for, even probably before we meet with them, is looking at the leadership team and what are the aspects of that team. And, and, and you know, these are companies that have most of the time, you know, grown up, grown up over many years. And, and there's some unevenness in the team and, and, and in some people can grow with the company, some can't. But remember, the, the bet we're going to make every day as a lender and as a, as a small equity investor is, you know, can this team execute this plan, even though they've never done it before, and now they have leverage? What, and what, that's yeah. co- corresponds to my first do, yeah. Yeah. which is the team should show, I think, enthusiasm and knowledge in the same portion. A lot of times yes. the, you get excessive enthusiasm or you get excessive knowledge with, and you wonder where well, the, the passion it, it, is. It, but it, it, it's, it's you true. need to see both, well, I think. Well, Because when you're dealing at the lower end of the middle market, which is kind of where we like to play, you, 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 you know, and this will sound kind of worse than it means, but a lot of the entrepreneurs are very skilled in their business, maybe not so much in the capital markets. What, what, should, what should they not do then? When they, uh, with the, what's turned you off? Uh, don't. I just think when, 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 oh, I guess, you know, maybe they try too hard, hmm. you know, to impress, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and we're pretty, you know, down to, down to earth, you know, transparent folks at the end of the day, and, and we're just looking for honesty, integrity, and, and, and just be up, just be up front. If it's if it's a deal that we like, we're going to tell you. If it's a deal that doesn't fit for us, we're going to tell you that too. And yeah, I, 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 it's funny because, you know, modesty is one of the real key traits, which I think well, I inferred I was, in that. And then I, I always my my don't uh, is don't offer to fly us in your private jet. Yeah, yeah that was it. And 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 oh, the other one is I find don't have a butler. Yeah. I, I, I got to say I've got two two stories where we had an entrepreneur who offered to have us come down to his thing. He said, Oh, why don't you fly in my private jet? I'm like, oh my gosh, if this guy's a private jet. Why is he asking me for money? I don't know about you, Kevin. My private jet <laughs> says Southwest Airlines on it, so that's my private jet. But I think oh. your, your point is well taken. A little humility, I think, is what you're yeah. getting at. We, it kind we, of goes a long way. We had one guy with a butler. Yeah. yeah. A butler. Literally, he came in and he served us lunch with white gloves. I said, this guy's a butler. Why is he coming to us? I want a butler. I don't have a butler, but. He's coming to us for money. Anyway, I thought that was funny. What, what are the things that you, you what is another thing you say, uh, if a team does this, that's a good sign? Well, I think if a team has, you know, we're going to look at the business, you know, what type of processes, systems, and even from you know, looking at the financial control architecture, I think that one of the areas that the, the, if there's a common thread through most of our portfolio company experiences, entrepreneurs don't like to spend money on, on the you know, financial control architecture, having a good CFO, having a good uh, um, 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 controller, depending on the size of the business, of course, and, and other things that if we're, gonna, if, if we're gonna look to exit the investment or the entrepreneur wants to be out, say typically five to seven years is what we hear, hmm. we start building that now. I like your word team. I mean, that was one of my big to-dos. Let your team speak is my second do. 
It's weird when the founder just talks and talks, and you have four guys or people well, sitting right next, and they don't speak. Well, well, what is your team doing? One, one of the things that, that we've learned, and in, 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 you know, sometimes the hard way, to be honest with you, because uh, we've had experiences all over the map, well, what you say is very true because I'll give you a very specific example uh, that, that we're, we've just come out of, where as we, we, we invested in a company where the team was very solid and they had worked together for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it was, we, we thought that was a very positive attribute of that investment. What we didn't really understand at the time is the, the leader, and he was a strong leader, and, and he had built the business with their help over the years. When he stepped away, we realized, well, why that team had done an excellent job executing the plan and growing the business. He hadn't really transferred the critical thinking capability yeah, that's onto common. his team. You know? And I think that that may sound you know, a, a little academic at the end of the day, but it's very true because you know, he had set a tone and a culture in the company uh, that reflected his own personality, as mm. is often the case. And, and, but, but also, you know, when, when he wasn't there to tell the team what to do, they, yeah. they, they struggled to think strategically amongst themselves. That delegation is so yeah. critical. And uh, you know, the thing I, my to do, I, it really impresses me, yeah. and it shows some modesty and humility, is, is know your competition. Yeah. It's shocking how many business plans come up with no competitive section. And then, and sometimes these very strong-willed entrepreneurs, is, What's, who's your competitor? I have none. Oh, and, yeah, and, oh yeah. my God. It's like, no, please get well, me out of here because but, it's just, it's, you know it's going to be a disaster. Well, and the other part, in answer to your question also, is you know, what would impress us is when they know the detail of their cash contribution margins. Hmm. And that sounds very financial engineering oriented, and it is. But as a lender, we focus on businesses that generate cash. Because mm. the only thing that's going to repay our loans is cash, right? Mm. So I, I think that sometimes when we go into companies and, and we say, well, you know, which part of the business is generating cash? And then when you get the deer in the headlights, you're like, okay. I mean, even <laughs> though they've done well, and 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 and, and you, you know what? Sim- you know how they can prove that? And this is this is. I wish I saw this more often, but you'd be shocked how often it doesn't happen. Is when you show your projected your budget, your projections, show balance sheet. Yeah, right. When they can do a balance sheet, they know their cash. Right. Very important. And how many business plans do you get that have a projected balance sheet as well as income statement? I don't know, probably count it on one hand. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You know, but that's, uh, that's a wow. I, I see that. That's a wow factor. And as long as they're not hockey stick. I mean, if I see a, oh, I'm going to make $100 million cash flow, you know, from a million. I mean, you see these hockey sticks. But, but you know what's important? And I think one of the things that your listeners might, might not fully appreciate is if, if, if the small companies do these things, you know, have a good process, a, a financial planning process, a good control process. If they're looking to exit the company in five to seven years, the potential buyer, that, that you're providing real value. Yeah. And, and alternatively, yeah. alternatively, if you don't do it, you're going to leave some money on the table. And I think that, that you know, it's yeah. not just overhead. It's really important. Even I, when, I, when, I am when, shocked when, at how many people don't uh, underhire at the CFO level. And, you know, and we could go on and on about the yeah. do's and don'ts. We've got 30 seconds yeah. in this section. Yeah. Sure. We're going to get to talk to a real-life successful entrepreneur in our next, yeah. uh, in our next uh, segment. But uh, b- suffice to say, you know, I, I think you and I have had the privilege of working with some amazing entrepreneurs that yes. did most of these do's and avoided most of the don'ts. Well, and it's they, just it's, it's exciting and fun to meet someone. And, and see them develop and grow a business to a hundred million, two hundred million, like as you and I have done. It's it's a, it's fun. Well, it's a partnership, and you know everybody's got to have effective listening skills and be able to share. You know, it's it's it really is kind of a marriage at the end of the day. 
Well, we're gonna we're gonna talk to a real live successful entrepreneur, <laughs> Jeff Mastro, when we get back from the break. And uh, thank you very much, Chris. I oh, really appreciate your insights. No, thank you. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. How is your business running? It should be running smoothly with nary a hiccup like a finely tuned machine. But if you're like most businesses, yours may be running nowhere close to that. Listen for Operationally Speaking with your host, Sergio Samel. Our program will help you to run your entrepreneurial business easier, better, with less frustration. And by running it well, you're sure to be poised for faster growth. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Deal Junkie. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to questions at cavecreekcapital.com. Now, back to Deal Junkie. Hello, this is Kevin Feckmeyer, Deal Junkie, Cracking the Private Equity Code. We're back with our special guest, Jeff Mastro, and uh, we're very pleased to, to have him. He, uh, you know, he's been a successful restaurateur in the Southwest for many years with his family. He grew up in the business with his father. Um, he uh, is actually n- not edu- educationally challenged like my other guests. He, <laughs> he actually was a University of Arizona alum like myself, so that's a... Absolutely, you know, huge kudos to him. And uh, also law school at the University of San Diego and uh, very impressive educational background. He then joined a family company in 2002 as the company's president and CEO and actually grew over time to become the president of Mastro's Steakhouse and then the co-founder of Stake 44. So I think uh, as a frequent uh, patron in your restaurants, uh, I'm a big fan, Jeff. And uh Really appreciate uh, the kind of quality dining you brought to the, the Valley long before it was trendy. So, uh, please, uh, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, uh, thank you, Kevin. Thanks for having me on your show. It's terrific. Uh, yeah, so I, 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 I grew up in, you know, in the restaurant business. 
after you know after school um college and um and i just love it and uh you know we we started uh we were in a lot of other restaurant um, businesses, some college taverns before we started uh, our Mastro's Steakhouse and Mastro's Ocean Club concept. Um, we opened those starting here in Scottsdale in 1999, and then uh, we built we built them up in Arizona and California. We had seven of them, and we sold them back in May of 2007, and then uh, and then a few years after that. We started up uh, our new steakhouse concepts. We have a, our Dominic Steakhouse. That was the first one we did after Mastro's in Scottsdale. And then we did our uh, Steak 44 in Phoenix at Clovac and uh, 44th Street. And, uh, and then um, a little more than a year ago, we opened a sister restaurant called Steak 48 in Houston. And just about four months ago, we opened up uh, Steak 48 in Chicago, which was... Uh, Somewhat of a you know a, a dream come true of ours. It's um, more or less the state capital of the world, and uh, so it was a very it's a very overwhelming uh, <laughs> uh, overwhelming city to go into. There's uh, more or less there's about there's probably about twenty to thirty steakhouses within a couple miles of us. Oh, oh yes, but uh, we're just uh, it's uh, <clears throat> so exciting to be to be in in Chicago with a, a state concept. Well, Jeff, you just glossed over like. 25 years of enormous success. Let me go back and we, we, we really want to hear about your background to start because I read the bio and I saw, wow, tax LLM, law school, I think in, how does this, how does this prepare you for restaurants? And, and, and I, I got to tell you, most people go in the restaurant business and they fail. And uh, yeah. talk about your background and, and were you prepared for this with the, you know, what, what, what is it that made you successful? And, Tell me if you had a failure to start when you were early on in your career. Did you ever fail? Oh yeah, absolutely. We had we had a lot of ups and downs. We had some other concepts, but uh, yeah, it was a you know to, to start it was a family business. I learned so much from my father and brother um, while we were you know with all the the ups and downs, and it, it was. It's just, uh, I think, somewhat in our our genes, the restaurant business. So, well, tell me, tell me about a tell me about a down. You got to just do. do you, everyone knows your successes, but it, it, this the the, the the failure is what people really learn from. What, tell us about something that didn't work and what you learned early on in your career. Um, well, yeah, we we did a few things. I mean, we had a, we had a restaurant called Marco Polo, which was tremendously successful, but and then we opened another one at 26th Street in Camelback in Phoenix, and it didn't do too well. Um, it was a second-story restaurant. We learned the hard way that that's a bad idea in Phoenix, Arizona, so that was a learning experience there. Interesting. And did you ever seek outside capital for your restaurant ventures you know, prior uh, to either those restaurants or Mastro's? Yeah, we, we did. yeah. When we were growing Mastro's, we yeah, you need. I mean, it's it's such a capital intensive business. So we started Mastro's with you know basically friends and family. We just went to our friends and family and, and gathered up some money to, to build our first one, and then and then we got that one up and going, and then we did the same thing for the second one. It wasn't until we had about three and to actually go to a financial institution to borrow some money, and uh, and, and and that was. Uh, Tremendously hard to borrow really? money. From, really? From yeah, a t- bank. yeah. Tell me about uh, that one because banks and restaurants usually had were oil and water back then. Yeah, exactly. It was very, very hard. They were very covenant heavy, and 
it was, uh, I mean, we got through it and it was great that we did it, but it, it, it was a very hard process. Was it just a secured loan or how much did they lend you? If you want to share that, you know, let me know what you're willing to share. Yeah, it was just a secured loan. They, you know, we had a lot of you know personal guarantees, which are scary, and uh, you know, secured by all the assets of the restaurants. Which in the restaurant business, the assets aren't really worth much. Uh, it's the real the real asset is the cash flow of the business. Wow, that uh, I have, have enormous respect for entrepreneurs, and I've even done it on a smaller scale myself for four ventures. And boy, you don't know. In my view, you don't know what it's like to be an entrepreneur until you look in the, in the whites of, of the eyes of somebody who knows that they're not taking a payroll check. You're, 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 you're the one not taking the payroll check because you need to have your people paid. And that, to me, is like the measure of an entrepreneur, specking your time yeah. and, your, and your sweat equity. And that, Was it like that when you started? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was very risky. When we started, um, when my dad started the Metro Steakhouse up at Pinnacle Peak in, in Pima, um, somewhat in the, the middle of nowhere in Scottsdale, I mean, my dad told the story that Paul Fleming actually came, uh, uh, just came by to take a look at what my dad was building up there and, uh, and told my dad uh, that my dad had a lot of courage putting a restaurant right there. And then he said goodbye. And my dad said, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> it, it scared him to death because it was, at the time, I don't know if you know where, where that is exactly. I, was, I've, I've had many birthday and graduation yeah, parties there. Spot. One of yeah. our favorites. Yeah, so back in 99, there wasn't as much uh, residential up there. So that was a scary time for, for all of us. Well, congratulations on making that gutsy bet that paid off. Uh, what, what, what was the secret sauce of Master? When you started it out, boy, you know, you, you really, you went balls out and, and you just, you made a very, very strong statement in the restaurant industry for high-end steak dining. I just, what was your secret sauce that made that click so well? Yeah, well, well, I mean, it was we 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 tried to have the best food possible, and we really tried to go over the top with service. And then we also added the element of the, the high energy bar with uh, some live entertainment. So it was more than just going out to eat and then going home. People could come in and 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 they could go into the bar before dinner or after dinner. There was live music in there. It was a whole it was a whole night night out. And a lot a lot of high energy, and uh, it was a great full-blown dining experience so uh, that, that that went a long way people were looking for for that rather than the you know going to the traditional steakhouses at the time which were you know a little little more sleepy you just walk in and, you know you can get some great food but uh, there was really they lacked energy and that's one thing we we really paid attention to we wanted to inject energy into the dining experience well, yeah, I, I can certainly say you've done that. Uh, your uh, your Steak Forty Four location. I've had you know many you know dinner parties there, and uh, we've also had uh, you know many. Uh, you know, I could tell we had twenty people at your Houston location last week, and it was full of energy. You know, all these you know sports celebrities, and the the bar was packed. There was music. It was it was a lot of fun. We we had a great time. And uh, now I, I can't honestly afford to do that more than occasionally, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun while it lasted. And let's 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 bring Chris into the equation here, Chris. What did you see when you saw? I mean, 
you know, Chris, you know, told me, what was it? You before on the break, you said, you know, there's three things that uh, no, three no, rules no, of restaurants. When I, when I was a younger <laughs> man at Citibank, we had three basic credit rules. We don't do restaurants. We don't do restaurants and don't forget the first two. OK, that was the rule. But I think uh, uh, hands down, the, the, the most uh, it's an easy answer, um, Kevin, because um, Jeff and his team and, you know, he's a true leader of the team. Uh, they're experienced restaurateurs with a track record, and and um, they run a tight ship. And and it was it wasn't very hard for us to be impressed that we have a good team here that knows exactly what they're doing. They're thoughtful. They do their homework, and they have good reporting capabilities. And gee whiz, they've done this before. So there's you know evidence of success is is you know certainly helpful for us. I, I mean, I, I would agree with everything you said. And, uh, but, you know, my knees would have been knocking on that investment, I tell you, <laughs> because I look at all the steakhouses, and a lot of them are copycatting, and, and, and you know, the success pattern is, you know, obviously your execution is excellent, but how did you look at this crowded market, you know, th think back, and, and how crowded this market was, you know, Jeff, and, you know, what was your competitive position that you said, ah, we can fill this this hole. What was your th thinking on that? Yeah, with it, with this go around, we put a lot of time and effort. It was, we were we were trying to get away from from the traditional steakhouses with, with the look and feel of them, where you walk in and it's more of the you know the the, the, the smoky rooms with all the hardwood and very old, very very dark and and not female friendly at all. We we thought there was a total void because. We, we think, uh, you know, a female, the female uh, guest is a huge demographic, and they make a lot of decisions. So we made our places just feel a little more comfortable, a little more. That's why when you walk in, we, I mean, it was a big decision to, to do white ceilings. I mean, that's a, that changes the whole feel of the place. And mm. we, did, we did these really cool chandeliers above, above these, these, these uh, huge wood bars. And they just, uh, we, we, we we try to, um, we call it warm contemporary. You don't want to go too, cold, you don't want to go cold contemporary, but we just kind of made it warm contemporary, very comfortable. People say all the time just how nice it is when they just feel comfortable in our place, in our places. And, and they feel, they feel like today and not, you know, we, we, we wanted to get away from the, you know, the 1985 steakhouse. Well, well said. And I, I'm coming down to our last 30 seconds. And then the next uh, and final segment, I want to talk a little bit more about what you just described, because, you know, the, you know, how do you find talent to fill that kind of energy? What, what, you know, how big can you possibly get with this kind of a high-end concept? And then, you know, ultimately, what amount of leverage is a, is a livable amount of leverage for a restaurant company? I want your honest opinion, because you, you, you're like a lot of our, our, our partners, they sweat bullets in that first few months. So uh, we're going to take a just quick commercial break, and then Chris and I will be back with more questions around that and looking ahead uh, for you and, and your concept. Th thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. 
You hear about it all the time. Compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security, and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Ritas is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. How many milestones do we rack up in our lives? From marriage to changing jobs, buying a home, and starting a family. We think we have our money and finances figured out, but it isn't that easy. Learn how to plan, set, and achieve your financial goals by tuning into Money Counts, unleashing your money's hidden potential with host Debbie Peterson. It's time to take control of your personal cash flow. Listen every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network the bottom line in business. You are listening to Deal Junkie. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to questions at cavecreekcapital.com. Now, back to Deal Junkie. Hello, this is Kevin Fechtmeyer, Deal Junkie, cracking the private equity code. We're back for our final segment with Jeff Mastro, the CEO of Stake 44. And I want to continue the line of questioning, Jeff, because you were getting into some really interesting uh, components of what you do and what's made your business successful. And uh, ultimately, you know, I think the focus on the women demographic, which had previously been ignored by a lot of the steakhouse, uh, you know, concepts and, and how you know that you know ultimately you know resulted in 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 the in the unit model that you created, which is very very uh, attractive and and very up to date. So um, let's talk a little bit about that. And uh, you know what what is it? I think I think well, let's start with the people equation. Um, and then Chris, you yeah, you know pop in. Um, you know, let me ask. Let me ask Chris. How did you know? You look at you know. It, it's never one person. It's never one family. It's got to be a team. Yes. How did you see Jeff um, end up? Attracting the kind of talent to create that energy and, and sustain that energy, and then Jeff, don't don't tell him any answer because I want to hear <laughs> if Chris is right. No, I, I don't and know whether he right. really listened. Did he really <laughs> listen to you <laughs> when, when he did but this? I think that Jeff has a team, him and his brother, but also he's he's got people that have worked with him for years. Because remember what the company's building now—they're multi-state now, mm-hmm. multi-location, multi-state. The human resource component of that, the staffing, yeah, the management—you know that. 
that that entails yeah. on a daily basis. Uh, Jeff, I don't answer this question. I assume that's the largest part of your job because when you look at what I've learned, and I've learned many things uh, from Jeff and his team, not only in how, how to attract the talent, train the talent, manage the talent, anything from you know, getting the door open in the morning. I think at stake 44, I could be wrong, Jeff. You know, they come in at nine to open at four. Okay. Wow. So, yep. so, so, so I think that, uh, you know, doing that and, and also what I've been impressed with from Jeff's team is, is a big part of his business is social media. Mm. And how they manage that, hmm. but, you know, and how important it is. But, but just go back, you know, to your first uh, question. When, when, when we, you know, Jeff puts together a budget for a new store, it was amazing to see how big a number has to be invested just in attracting the talent and training the talent. Wow. It's a lot of money. Okay. And it's not an effort. Jeff, I hope I'm not uh, out of school here, but I think that is just, it speaks to, A, the, 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 the risk capital involved in the business, and it's a soft cost. Yeah. You know, that you're, you, but, but if you don't do it, you're not going to get the quality service right. and the so, quality talent. So, Jeff, before you, uh, please step in, Jeff. With mm -hmm. First, give me a grade. Uh, did Chris Roden get an A, B, <laughs> C, or D on his answer <laughs> for that question? First of all, that, we can't do anything without great people. This so, so, so he got. Did he get an A or an A plus or a minus or B plus I, or? I, I can't give him a full A. I gotta give him an A minus. Uh, okay. <laughs> wow, he's hard. He's hard. I don't want to go to that. <laughs> yeah, he's he, he, very high standards already. I can see this as an organization. It holds its people to high standards. Yeah, see Even its board members. <laughs> it's it's true. I'll, I'll work on the next one better, Jeff. Sorry. Go, go. go ahead. <laughs> Uh, yes, but, but they're, they're so important. I spend so much of my time on training and hiring the right people and, and, and training the trainers. I mean, that's what we do. That's only, you know, from the back of the house, the kitchen, to the front of the house with our, our servers and our server assistants and our hostesses. It's just such a people-intensive business and we're only as good as those people are every, every day. And, it's, and it's, it's, it's day in and day out. And, and you got to and you got to constantly training everybody in order for, for them to understand that that we don't take anything for granted. And every day you got to be on your game in order to to you know at this high check average in order to provide what people are expecting. Um, you just got to really be training your people where, nonstop. Where, where do you where do you slip up? I mean, where is the the biggest mistake you can make? in this talent recruitment and training process that you work hard to avoid? You may not get it 100% right every time, but tell me, what's the biggest thing? Well, no, thing? you never you know, you know, you know, do. I'm always on my people to be watching because the goal is trying to get rid of the bad apples before they cause too much damage. So I, I'm always telling my people, you gotta be watching, you gotta be watching, you gotta be uh, on the floor, seeing what they're doing and, and trying to catch it. You wanna get rid of somebody. If, if they're a problem, you wanna get rid of them you know, on, on day, you know, day two or day three, rather than a month later where they've caused problems and, and maybe there's going to be a bad, you know, bad social media review or what have you. It's just a, it's paying attention to your staff every day. Yeah, no, I, listen, I appreciate that. And, you know, as a um, you know, caveat, uh, I, I think you may know from our website, we're actually the largest, uh, we partner with the largest Denny's franchisee. So obviously a different demographic, but um, they've got over 5,000 employees and yep. uh, several hundred managers and the training and attracting them and 
just critical, and we're fortunate to have the leading operator in the Denny system who attracts, you know, the, they're the talent magnet for the best managers, and uh, I can't tell you how important that has been in, in maintaining yeah. quality and customer experience. Last month, the report I read, I think we fed 1.5 million people, so uh, just <laughs> in that month. And I got to tell you, I said, I'm a, I, I know these guys, they work hard, like you, and you wake up at night and you, you worry. Is you're, you've got so many touch points and they've got to be perfect every time. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about some of the, um, you know, the things that you do that, again, is a little bit different that, that has allowed you to scale. Because a lot of people can do one restaurant well. How do you get the 10 restaurants? How do you get the 50 restaurants? How big can you get? Yeah, those are, we talk about that all the time. There are, you see it all the time but, uh, with restaurant companies that grow too fast. And we're, we're, we're never going to do that. But that's what happens. You grow too fast, you don't have the proper infrastructure. You, you need to have, you need to have the proper infrastructure and then you just start growing. But, but sometimes you, you can build your infrastructure too much and then you're, you're not growing enough and then you're, you're, the cost of all that infrastructure needs to be alive. So there's a fine line about how, how you can grow. Um, but if you grow too fast, you'll never be able to. I mean, we are, our, you know, our uh, human resources department is only so big, so we can only build so many stores and train people, train so many people at the same time. And we're we're very well aware of that. So um, we can't. Right now, we're we're set up to build. We can build two or three stores at a time. I mean, two or three stores a year, and but none of them at the same time. That's how we're set up, and that's how we keep our standards as high as possible. Right. Um, you know, just not. You can't. You can't grow too fast. It really. We've seen so many companies that that just kills them. I can see Stake Forty Four thriving in a Phoenix or Houston, Chicago. Can can that concept go to a other than a top twenty market? In your opinion? Yeah, I think so. We talk about that a lot because there's. I mean, well, right now we've been spending a lot of time going into uh, you know the, the basically the top five biggest cities in, in, in the country. But, but yeah, we think it can work in smaller markets, too. Uh, I mean, you know, the footprint, in order to do what we do with the the, uh, that, uh, the, the, the way we built the kitchens with the floor-to-glass ceiling and, and the, the, the semi-private booths right off the kitchen looking down the line, in order to do that, they have to be, they have to be probably around at least 9,000 square feet, which is a fairly big restaurant. Yeah. Um, so, but uh, that that can work in, in that can work in, in a, mm. lot, a lot of markets, not just the you know top top ten. Yeah. Well, that last question because we're down to a minute, but uh, you know, a lot of capital is needed to grow, even at the rate you're talking about, given the quality of your units. How much debt is too much debt for a restaurant company, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, we, 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 you really got to pay attention. I mean, we, when we had Nostos, we actually sold right before the recession. And then, you know, I, I was on the board for a while after. And we went into the recession and, and sales and EBITDA just, you know, just as you can imagine, like almost every restaurant company just dropped substantially. So, so we paid a lot of attention to that. So you, you got to be, you, you just got to pay attention to, to, you know, you, you got to understand that there's going to be ups and downs in the, the economy, which you really can't control, right. is going to happen. You have those cycles, and, and you got to be able to weather that storm, and you got to be weather it easy. So that's, okay. that's like, what we do. You got to make sure. Is there you got to make sure if your sales drop 
you know, as soon as it's up, you know, 20% because if something horrible happens, uh, okay. possibly terrorism or just a, a, you know, a great recession, you're, you're able to withstand uh, well, well, come out the other side. Th- thank you very, very much. You, you were successfully and artfully avoided my question uh, <laughs> related to the number, but that's okay. I, your, your stories are great, and we really thank you for your time, and Chris yeah, as yeah. well. Uh, we really appreciate it. No, so thanks for coming on. We look forward to you know being future customers there. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jeff. We'll see you soon. Thank you for tuning in to Deal Junkie, cracking the private equity code. Be sure to join Kevin Fechtmeyer and the Deal Team 6 for another edition next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a nice week.